Good morning, afternoon, or evening, whatever time it is, wherever you're coming from, Cowboys Nation, you know the drill. Welcome to the Starboys Devil XO Show. I'm your host, and with me, my co-host, Mr. Daryl Clark and Mrs. Camber Michelle. What's up, guys? What it is, fam? I'm good. I'm good. Did I get married? All of a sudden, because now I'm Mrs. I did. I messed that up. <laughs> I messed that up. It's Miss. It's Miss. Wow. And thank you for calling me like, out. I deserve that. I deserve that. Hey, that's how you, you know do. the camera don't want that. She's like, uh-uh. I'm like, Ooh. oh, no. I'm no one. I'm Mrs. Mrs. Michelle. Married. <laughs> no. No, ma'am. No, sir. No. None. <laughs> I feel that energy. I feel that energy. No that's ring. No, <laughs> no ring. I ain't doing that. Been there, done that. You be careful. You need to be careful about announcing that. I, if I were you, I'd be wearing like a fake ring. You know what I mean? There you go. Because then these look, Western DMs. Listen to that phone. Right now, I just saw it. Just lit up. It just lit up. I'm like, I need to see your bank statements, your portfolio. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Need a background check. All right, so hey, we got a very special guest joining us on the show today. I'm excited. Mm. I'm excited about this show. We have a lot of questions uh, from our viewers here that want to ask this special guest um, many, many questions. So it's going to be fun. Overall, it's going to be a really, really good, good show. A lot of knowledge to be passed around. So, you know, we hope you guys enjoy it. Okay, our special guest with us today, Brian Broaddus, longtime scout, Super Bowl champion scout, Dallas Cowboys affiliate and fan favorite. Brian Broaddus, how are you? I'm doing well, guys. I've heard a lot about you cats here. I'm kind of excited about being on this show tonight. I, I know this might be a little bit diff difficult for an old crusty guy to have to deal with, but I think I'm up to the, the challenge of dealing with you guys. You might be. You might be. Thank you. Thank you for joining us, first and foremost. We, we definitely appreciate it. Okay, so the reason we're all here, of course, is the draft, the 2021 draft. And we have a multitude of questions, and we actually have some, some fan questions, and that's how we're going to start this off. Uh, so we have uh, Kelly K9 says, would you draft Pitts at 10 if he's there? And this is just I understand you. talking to uh, yeah I, I've done a little scouting about this show and I understand there's some some pits haters here right yeah there are a couple of pits haters I wouldn't call it that me. no I wouldn't call it that I would I wouldn't I don't I don't hate pits I love him he's he's unbelievably talented you just would, um, just wouldn't do it at ten right you just wouldn't do it at ten I know I have a hard I it's hard it's a hard choice for me that's a really hard decision but I I lean thirteen that's where I land we'll we'll get to that but how do you okay. feel. Oh, I was just curious what you guys feel, too. I could learn a lot by my panel here is what I can do. So, yeah. I'll tell you what, though. Uh, me, personally, um, I put out my top 51 today. Kyle Pitts is my second-rated player on my top 51. And I, I I don't look at Kyle Pitts as a tight end. I look at him as a weapon. I look at him as it's in all my years, my 30 years of doing this, you look for those players and that that – can just can change a game with the way they play. And I, I've watched this kid play. I, I was watching, you know, and, and we're talking about all these corners that we're going to get into. I'm sure we're going to get into Sertan. I'm sure we're going to get into Horn. 
I'm sure we're going to get into Joseph. All these SEC corners that are trying to cover this guy, because that's what they do. The, the, the best chance these defensive coordinators have in the SEC is put their best players on this type of guy. Right. And what I've learned about watching Kyle Pitts play is that with his body type, his length, and when I talk about length, I talk about reach, because if you look at Kyle Pitts the last couple of years, high 80s, right around 90% target to reception rate. And the reason why is because when this guy extends his hands, his reach is so much longer. So what happens is you have to go through him to get to the ball. And if you go through him or get through him, now you're trying to get to the ball. Well, he's also got his hands extended. You're hitting him on the forearms and the wrists. Right. He's not going to allow you to get to the ball. So every contested ball you try to make with this guy, he's going to be able to extend and make the play. And I, I kind of feel like, to me, when you watch him play, I, I don't – there's been guys in this league that have been just outstanding at just catching the football. But there's so many different things that you can do with him. I mean, you can line him up wide. You can line up in the slot. You could put him as a wing. You could put him in line. He makes the Cowboys, and I know just from a Cowboys perspective, their problems in the red zone. And, and, and will Kellen Moore use him the right way? Will Kellen Moore steal some ideas from Dan Mullen and how they use things in Florida and and, you know, Kyle Trask was a Heisman Trophy candidate, a finalist, because of guys like him and, and Tony and people like that. So to me, if it's an offensive player like that, yes. Now, I love Chase. I also love the Smith at Alabama. I love Waddle. But Pitts is the only one that if he got to me at 10 of those offensive players – that I would that I would make that pick. I, I think he's I think he's rare in every sense of the word right there as a football. Okay. Okay. All right. How long do you say you've been doing this again, Brian? No, I'm just <laughs> so D, how are you feeling about that? Brian, Brian, <laughs> I am gonna own up to it. I'm gonna own up to it on this panel. I have been the the naysayer, but it's not because of of uh, of uh, his generational talent. I, so let me ask you this. Here's a follow-up question then, Brian. So you would take him at 10. I would. Uh, e even, even though we have this lack of talent and draft and free agent capital on the defensive side. Yeah, is, I would. So, so, okay, well, you've answered that. I I mean, would, uh, I would, I'll tell you why, because I've learned enough about this draft that I know that it's not a one-player draft. And, and in my heart, I believe in my eyes, and, and again, this is my board. I, if if you're out there and you don't want Pitts and you think this is a bad defense, I I don't have a gripe for you. I, I you know you you you're you're right. This this defense was historically bad, but but again, I'm thinking about. I know in the second round, I know in the second round, I've got like five cornerbacks sitting there. I know I've got at least four safeties sitting there. I know I have linebackers sitting there. I know I have defensive tackles sitting there. I've got defensive ends sitting there. So to me, I'm not going to make this about one player. I'm going to make it about, okay, how do I go out and maximize my pick at this time? If, if I go out and get a guy that's the second best player on my board, that then I, that's my job, you know? And, 
me personally, I don't think Pitts gets to them. I, I don't think we – but then again, we didn't think CeeDee Lamb was going to get to him, okay? And he was the best wide receiver on my board. So I, but I have to be prepared. If something happens in front of me where all of a sudden he's there, I think you have to strongly consider that. And, and again, because I know – I know that that it, those defensive players that I have a better chance of getting the type of and I I think I have 19 players in the first round on my board. The majority of them are offensive players. Mm-hmm. Of first round grades are offensive players, not defensive players. No defensive tackles, Ojolari, Phillips at defensive end. What do I think about Zayden Collins from Tulsa? Is he a Sam linebacker? Where would I play him? What am I going to do with Parsons? Am I worried about immaturity there? Huh. Sertan, Bourne. Wait a minute. I liked Farley. Whoa, what's up with this back thing with Farley? I have more questions about those early guys than I do about what I'm looking at in rounds two and three on my board when it comes to defensive those defensive players. So okay. I, I think there's – I, I, that that's the one player that would get me not to take a defensive player if uh, if he was there. Okay, so Brian, here's so if you feel that strongly about him, would you trade up to get him, and how much would you give up? No, you know what, I, I, I I'm not I'm not going to trade up there. I'm not going to trade up there. And even though, and I'll tell you what, that and it's a really it's a fair question because what's going to happen is I'm going to make sure I'm going to make sure I'm going to keep myself now if. I'm going to make sure that I'm going to keep myself in position if he falls to me. But I also know that, okay, I could have a possibility to take. Now, the thing that would bother me, the thing that maybe trading up would be the right thing to do. I would worry about somebody thinking, I worry about Carolina at eight, and I worry about Denver at nine selling their pick. I, I If I'm the Cowboys, and I know this for a fact, they are worried about one of those teams bailing out. And all of a sudden, if you're a fan of Sertan, you know, if you like him, you know, everybody in the league knows Dallas is hunting defensive players. Dallas is hunting corners. You know, everybody knows that. You know, so all of a sudden, someone says, well, boom, I'm going to jump in front of Dallas. Because with Farley now being with the back, and by the way, I heard from medical people that rehab will help but long-term is not going to be good. So that takes Farley, I think, out of the mix. If he was in the mix, I'd say, okay, let's sit there and ride this and see what happens. But like I said, I I wouldn't trade up for Pitts. I'm going to sit there. I'm going to take – now, I will say this. I'm interested in taking 44 and 75 and trying to work this thing back into the, into the, into the 20s. Now, the problem is there, well, somebody let me in. I don't know if somebody will let me in. That's the problem I'm, I'm looking at right now. Because, you know, or do I move back? You know, do I move back from 10? Everybody talks about New England. I don't think New England would give you a first-round pick for the five-place the five place move, okay? And, again, I'm trying to get to your point about, I okay, I wouldn't trade up. But I'm thinking about staying, but will I go back? I'm kind of debating that, but I don't really want to because I'm thinking behind me, Giants could take receiver, Philadelphia takes receiver, and now you have all these teams that have cornerback as their second need, you know? And I don't know if they're really shot in the rear over Newsom right now. 
I'm not getting that vibe that they really, really like Newsom. So it might force you to have to sit there and pick a player. But if you go to New England at 15, I'd hold them up for 46. So that would give you 15, 44, 46. You could do some damage, but yeah. you got to know why you're going back and you got to know who you're going back for, right. you know? Yeah. And I, again, offensive players, there's people in that building that will tell you, hey, we should draft an offensive tackle at 10 if we can get one, you know? And that just tells you what they think about Tyron Smith's health. That's the problem. That's the elephant in the room that nobody really wants to talk about. You can talk about defense all you want, but what about your left tackle? They restructured him, Brian. He's here. They restructured that contract, man. Oh, no, but that's what I'm saying. That's, you know, but, hey, these, these guys will eat money. They'll eat money, but that's the problem. That's the, that's the problem that you run into is when you talk to people in the building, they'll say, hey, what do you think about Slater from Northwestern? What do you think about Derrishaw from Virginia Tech? You know, I've had people tell me they think Slater from Northwestern is the next Zach Martin at guard. Mm -hmm. Not so sure what kind of tackle he could be. You know, yeah, I agree. Uh, from USC, the two mm -hmm. top guards are Slater, Vera Tucker, and then the two tackles. So I, I probably didn't answer your question. I don't. I I wouldn't trade up for the player. I think I'm going to sit there and let this thing ride. And if he gets to me, great. If he doesn't get to me, I'm fine with it. I will take your defensive player then if he's there. Oh, okay. And this actually brings my next question: Who is your defensive player if he's there? I got a feeling I know who it is, but I just want to hear. Oh, from I you. love Horn. I love Horn. Oh. Yeah, I do. I love Horn. And and I'll tell you yeah. why I love Horn. Horn to me, though, is when you look at how he plays, I I think in the NFL you have to play with a chip, especially on the outside, a chip on that shoulder. I'm not saying that Sertan doesn't. Sertan is one of the safest, most steady players you can draft it. That would be, you know, and, and there's no problem with him. There's no problem. I mean, hey, good player, played in huge games. You know, the thing you worry about Alabama kids are, are they at the level that they're at? They're ceiling. Are they there playing at Alabama at that ceiling already? You know, are you going to get any more out of them? Right. You know? And so that's the question you have to ask yourself. But you're going to get a steady football player. You're going to get one that was got coached really hard. You're going to get one that played in a lot of games. You know, you're going to get it a guy. I mean, I scouted his dad. His dad was a bad mf or too. You know what I'm saying? So – I draft the dad. If you let me draft the dad, I draft the dad after what I know. But I, I, I like Horn. I just do. I think there's something about that edginess that he has. We talk about the length. We talk about how you know fiery he is. I think football is really important to him. You know, so that's the kind of guy. Now he he'll hold. He'll grab. He'll Thank clutch, you for saying that. All kinds yeah. of stuff. But yep. but you know what? I mean, to me, give me the guy that's going to battle his ass off every single rep and and that's what that kid does and he really he's he's a good football player but if they took Sertan I wouldn't be disappointed at all either okay yeah that you know what I, I've been debating this I've been debating me and me and Daryl did some all 22 film review on him and um his 2019 tape wasn't great to me right and he, he improved mm -hmm. much more in 2020 uh but it was 
the the grabbing was a little bit of a concern, but the way that Alabama that he played that game and he, he actually did okay, but he kind of got tore up by um um geez the uh, Devon Smith. And Smith. yeah, and I just it was hard for me to to look away from that. He was very grabby, but at the same time, you know, and I, I moved on from him mentally at 10, right? I'm like, mm -hmm. I'm it feels too rich for me. He seems like he's got a high ceiling, but I don't it's one of those a little bit more risky than Sertan, obviously for me. Yeah. But the the concern for me is just is he going to continue to hold at that next level? Can I ask you a question? What yeah. do you like about Sertan? Uh, so I actually like him in press. I like him in press. Okay. I like that stiff jab. He he, mm -hmm. he he brings it often. He's got a really stiff jab, and he kind of redirects. Mm -hmm. So I know his hips are a little tight, it seems like to me. Um, but he transitions pretty smoothly for the most part. And I feel like he's just mm -hmm. this big, lean corner. And most of the film that I watched of him, it just seemed like he was – some of it was quite boring, honestly. He was just traveling. He was just traveling at the guy with the guy with his at his hip. The problem that mm -hmm. I noticed about him was he he uh, he gave up a lot of inside routes, like slant routes, and right. stuff, right? Right. Um, but you know, at the same time, it's kind of hard because Alabama, if, I, if I'm not mistaken, their defense is, I think it's it's cover two, but it's also it's it's man within like a certain area within their coverage right within their cover two sure. zone so mm -hmm. uh, i just I, I saw a lot of uh, a lot of great things he was just solid fundamentally sound i just felt like everything was there as far as and you know typical coach by nick saban right so he just seemed like he had it all all the fundamentals down and i love that about his game it's so, very safe so he, he he scares you less than horn is that kind of where you're at yeah, yeah, just horn just seems it's the the grabbiness with with horn is is pretty scary to me, honestly. And I, I'm the thing is when I watch highlights, I watched highlights of horn today, and I got excited because mm -hmm. I got to put it together a little clip, and I was like, man, he's exciting, right? Because he's got this mm -hmm. energy and this boastfulness and this you know Jalen Ramsey type vibe to him, and and I like that. I like that dog, but. To me, it just seems like he reaches too much, and I feel like at the NFL level, it's going to get him in trouble. Is that something? Cameron, where you, where, where, Cameron, where are you in this one? I keep going back and forth. Honestly, I, I like Horn as the player. I think Sertan is the safe. I think he's the safe pick. Honestly, I think sure. he'll fit right in. Um, he fits the needs and everything. And but I do like that part about Horn. Um, I think, I mean, I guess I do have a concern with the way the refs have been calling PIs constantly, especially as bad as it has in the last two years that I don't know if they're going to, you know, he's going to be constantly, you know, being called for it. Is that coachable? I mean, is that something that can be fixed? Um, I'm honestly, I, I'm not going to be disappointed with either player to tell you the truth. I, I think either one of them is going to be a solid pick. So... I, I like what you guys are saying. I, I think that in war rooms across the country, I think that there's going to be some split, but I think I think that the majority of them will have the safer player, like you guys are talking about. Right. I do. I do know some some teams that have Horn on top of Sertan, and Absolutely. and there, but there were a lot of teams that liked Farley too until all this back stuff came down, and yeah. he was. 
And then a lot of teams, he, he was he was on the board as being the best corner. So I, I think that you know it, it's it's almost like these the argument you have with quarterbacks that okay you know we always right. compare it to ice cream. Your chocolate chip is my rocky road, you know, kind of thing. Right. I mean, it depends on what you like in the player, and you know every you know can you coach can you coach the grabbiness out of this kid? Yeah. Maybe so. I, I I'll tell you this though. I like the fact of how aggressive he is. That that's the one thing that kind of sells me, me on the player. And you know, if I if I'm if I have to take a corner, give me one that's going to battle and not let people inside on him on those routes and stuff like that. That's give me if you could if you show me a cornerback that plays inside routes and can defend those, that I I'll, I'll draft you. You know, but if you're a guy that's constantly giving up stuff inside, and not that Sertan is giving up a bunch inside, but you do see it. Just like you see Horn, just like you see Horn grabbing people too. So right. it's kind of a, you know, depending on what flavor of ice cream you like. Pick your poison. Right. Right. And I mean, um, so, th- and that's, you know, just Horn again. I- I've, I've been on the fence about him so much, just at 10, but I do believe Don't get he's, on the a, fence. he's a talented player. <laughs> Make a he's talented. I mean, that's, you know, that's what I'm saying. You, don't, don't this is where this is where you get in trouble in draft rooms. Right now, you would get killed for your act, for what you just okay, said. Okay, okay. I don't, I, mean, they, I don't no, like I mean, Hornet. No, gonna, no, yeah, nobody's going to blame you. Nobody, no, seriously, nobody's going to blame me if you say I'm going to take Sertan and I'm going to live with it. You know, nobody's going to blame me. It's when you ride that fence because I, I was with Mike Zimmer, Mike Zimmer up in Minnesota. Mike was with us, and Mike kept going back and forth on players. And I said, Mike, you're killing the scouts. You're killing them. You, right. you, you riding the fence gives them no direction. You're right. killing the scouts. And he's like, what do you mean? I go, you're, you've got to make a decision. You've got to say it one way or another. You've got to give the scouts direction. I'm not trying to bust you, Zach. I'm just no, trying to tell you. Yeah, don't, don't ride a fence on a player. That's the, that's the last thing. And if you're wrong about it, wear it. If you're right about it, you move on and evaluate somebody else. That's kind of the that's kind of the attitude. I mean, I could be dead balls wrong about Sertan. I like the player. I just like Horn better, you know. But I I respect what you guys are saying. I think that's where I'm at. It's coming out of a, out of a place of respect. To me, ten feels very very rich for Horn. I don't think I think 2020 was go. a much better season, but it just go. wasn't. It, it wasn't enough for me. I, I just I saw too many things on the tape that I didn't like, and that scares me. And I wouldn't be comfortable with a premium pick at number ten with drafting a player that I feel like needs some work. You know, I'm just not sure. comfortable with that. And yes, Sertain mm-hmm. is a safer player in my opinion, but you know, again, that's that's my opinion. And a lot of people are out on this. I mean, they're back and forth too. Sure. So, but I, hey, I totally like I said, as long as you study, do the work, and as long as you have an opinion. Again, you in a in a draft room, you get murdered for riding the fence. Right. You know, either either wear it or don't wear it. That's that's how you got to live in in a, in a in a draft say. But you make some good points. We'll see how it, we'll see how it turns out. Yeah, it's good. I'm, I'm glad you I'm glad you said that, Brian. Here's this for emphatic. There is no way we were drafting Kyle Pitts at ten. Let's go on to the next. <laughs> <one>. <laughs> okay. You know what? That actually oh, leads us into our next viewer question. <laughs> Um, This is from our dear friend L.P. Cruz, and he says, who is the one player you were so damn sure about but nobody in the room would listen to you? Oh, (laughs) jeez. You know, 
it's funny because I there was there was we were doing a deal. Well, it was a deal. It was a deal for um, for the the quarterback that we for um, that we got from the uh, the, the Yankees. It was uh, why am I going brain dead all of a sudden? Uh, the kid that was a third baseman with the Yankees, and he was with the Houston. We got it from Houston for a third round pick. Why am I going? I'm going brain dead. Come on, guys, help me. Cowboy fans, help me here. I'm too. Don't go brain dead. Don't talk uh, baseball to me. (laughs) Drew Henson. It was Drew Henson. God, I'm sorry. Oh, the quarterback. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Drew Henson. I couldn't remember his name. I was thinking of Chad Hutchinson, and then it was Drew Henson all of a sudden. And I'll never forget this because Sean Payton and I were watching the film together, and Sean and I were like, this guy can't play dead. He can't play. I mean, we're watching nine games of this guy. He can't play. He can't play. He can't play. And, like, everybody in the room's like, oh, no, no, this guy's the next Troy Aikman. This guy, I mean, I mean, Parcells. I mean, everybody's talking. And Sean and I are, like, going, this guy, this guy can't play. This guy can't play. I'm sorry. He can't. This is when Sean Payton and I became really close because in that room, everybody was MF and us for our view. (laughs) But but we were nobody was listening. We kept saying, we kept saying, kept saying, and bringing up argument and fighting with people. And lo and behold, we went ahead and got the player, and he couldn't play dead. And to this day, Sean and I still laugh about that. That like that that was our that was our shining moment, you know, that we told everybody. But you know, if you sit in that room long enough, you'll have arguments where people. I, I was talking about uh, earlier with uh, John Gruden. John Gruden, he, he he was trying to sell us on Isaac Bruce, um, you know, the Rams Hall uh, yeah. receiver, and the scouts didn't like Isaac Bruce. And John's like oh. going, John's going, you guys don't know what the f you're talking about. This guy's a first round player. I mean, he was going on and on and on and on, and everybody's like going, John, you, no, you're not gonna, not you're not right about this, John. You're not right about this. And sure enough. Like years later, I still see John Gruden this day. I say, "Hey, what do you think about Isaac Bruce?" He goes, "Yeah, all you mfers, yeah, <laughs> I didn't like that guy, did you? Yeah, I showed you, you know." And those are the kinds of things. But if you sit in that room long enough, you'll have a few of those. Man, I can't even remember all of them, but there, there, trust me, there are plenty where you're just like you're going, you're losing your mind of things that are happening. You so so Brian. Look, I'm going to follow up because you uh you mentioned um the the quarterback and Sean Payton. What about yeah. Tony Romo, man? What did you guys or what? Because it was Sean Payton, right? That uh, convinced him to yeah. To come actually, it was, it was yeah, Tony. Yeah, it was really good. It was this is when the draft process really works because it started off that Jason Garrett's dad, Jim Garrett, did the report. Jim Garrett put him in the fifth round. Fine, great. Western Illinois, hey, evaluate him. Fifth round, great. Boom, evaluate. Good job, Jim. Jim Hess was the cross-checker for the quarterbacks. He gave Tony a fifth round grade as well. Kind of kept him right there. Chris Hall, who's still with the organization as the coordinator of college scouting, the scouts are used to be allowed to move the tags. Like, they're like, ah, move that guy down, move this guy up, you know, move guys around, kind of like the final board thing. Chris wouldn't let any of any scout move Tony's tag. Tony's tag stayed right there in that fifth round. So all of a sudden, it's like Sean Payton comes in. Sean's like, well, 
guys got him a little too little too low. Need to raise him up. But Sean did a great job of when we when we were we were in a position where we could never grab Tony with a pick. But Sean got on the phone with him in the last day and just held his hand the whole way. I mean, the whole way. And I remember Sean kept coming in and talking to Coach Parcells and Jerry about him. He's like, hey, we're going to lose this kid. We're going to lose this kid. You guys going to make a pick. We got to. We never could get to him. And lo and behold, it, Sean recruiting the kid the whole last day of the draft. And then we got Jerry on the phone. Jerry hammered him with, like, you know, good Jerry salesmanship stuff. Jerry got it done, gave him some money, and we beat Mike Shanahan and the Denver Broncos for but what people don't realize about Tony Romo's career was he was almost released. Uh, if Quincy Carter doesn't fail the drug test, Tony's going to get cut. Wow. We, had four, we had four quarterbacks. And I'll never forget being in Oxnard, California. I was with, uh, was with Larry Lacewell, and I walked into the meeting room after I went jogging, came in, and Lace goes, we're cutting Quincy Carter. And I'm like, What? He goes, yeah, we're cutting Quincy Carter. I said, what for? He goes, drugs. We're cutting him for the drugs. He's he's the drug test and all that. If Quincy Carter was still on that team, Drew Henson, it was Drew Henson, it was uh, wow. Vinny Testaverde, and then Quincy Carter were going to be the quarterback. Oh, no. Hey, that, like, Cody Romo was a failed drug test away wow. from – off the Dallas Cowboys. That's how close his See, career was. All this hatred towards Quincy Carter. Y'all need to respect that, man. I'm going to keep it going. I'm going to move in with the next viewer question, Brian. So our guy, Steve from Lexington, he wants to know what you would do or how much you would give up to move back into the first to get Mr. Barrymore. Yeah, I think, you know, if you what you're going to probably have to do is we talked about 44 and 75. That gets you, boy, that's going to put you right in that area of like 23, 24. You know, we'll see. I mean, I don't know if somebody will let you back in. You could sure. Now, I'll tell you what's different. It used to be with the fifth-year options that teams wouldn't let you do it because everybody wanted that fifth-year option. Well, now that the fifth-year option is guaranteed, there's a lot of teams. The Cowboys are going to have to make a decision here coming up on Leighton Vander Esch, whether they want to give him the fifth-year option. So teams used to be like, oh, no, no, we're not going to let you back in. But can you entice somebody? Somebody might see the board like I do where 44 and 75 plus your own second-round pick might be better value than picking a guy at 23 or 24. So – that could be your hope right there. But, yeah, you're going to probably have to go with 44 and 75. You might be able to dangle Michael Gallup in, in you know, with with one of the picks. You dangle Gallup with it for a team that might make it worthwhile to somebody. But that's that's kind of what you're going to have to do. This is Would you give up those two picks to come back to get Barmore? Or do you feel that? Levi and some of them that are in the sec late first second. Yeah, we knew that Husky, first, we knew that Husky was going to get mentioned. You knew there. I was going to yeah. throw in one of my. We knew dogs. that. We knew <laughs> I, tell you, I like your Husky Joe Tryon a lot too. I like yeah, I like I. him as a defensive end. Um, you know, I think with Barmore, that's 
kind of where he's going to be taken. I, I personally don't have a first-round grade on him. And like I said, I have 19 first-round grades, and he's in that 22 to 23 range for me right now. And But he is my number one, like, one technique. I think if they come back in, I think if they come back in, it might be if they go, say they were to go offense. And I mean, I don't mean offense like pits. I mean, offense like if a tackle – if one of those tackles was at 10 and they come back in to try and grab one of those corners, that might be where they go. Uh, but I don't know if they would come back in for Barmore. That, that, but pe- yeah. pe- people have talked about it. I've, I haven't floated that idea to anybody. But to me, that that would be kind of one of those ones that I would I would say, ah, maybe you come back in, you double dip on the corners. You know, maybe you, you strike two corners there. And But if you do 44 – we had Stephen Jones on. Matter of fact, we're having Stephen Jones on again on Friday on 105.3 of the fan. And I'm going to ask him about that because he admitted that they haven't done a very good job with the safety stuff. And I kind of feel like that 44 might be a good spot for a safety. So if you grabbed a corner at, say, 10 and you took a safety at 44, might be a good possibility uh, going on right there. So you mentioned jumping back up earlier about maybe possibly jumping back up into the first round. Who are you targeting personally if you're thinking about trading back up in the first round? Yeah, that's – I mean, that's the difficult thing. I think a lot of it has to do with what you're looking at. Uh, you know, what did you pick at 10? And is there a player that that's still sitting there on that board that, okay, you grabbed a player at 10 that's obviously in that wheelhouse of – you. on average there are 18 to, say, 21 first-round grades – Maybe you have – you took a player – maybe – okay, say you have Sertan. Maybe take Sertan. And, and he's your fourth best player on your board, okay? And then all of a sudden, they've got a grade for, for one of these defensive ends or maybe a linebacker. Maybe they still have a first-round grade. That would be – that's the only opportunity that you would dive back in there for okay. if you felt like, okay, let's get our, let's get our fourth best player and let's get our – 12th best player. That's the only way that you would dive back into this thing. And, you know, like I said, it, it, a lot of it depends on what you do at, you know, maybe, maybe you like one of these offensive tackles, you know, at, at maybe if you want to dive back in, you just think the value is too good, you know, for one of these second round tackles. I mean, uh, that, I mean, they might have them as a greatest, I mean, Jenkins from Oklahoma state, Leatherwood from Alabama, you know, those kinds of guys. Do you like one of these defensive ends? I, I'll tell you something that got me nervous the other day, guys, was when Daniel Jeremiah, when he mocked Quiddy Pay to Dallas at 10. Oh. I had not seen that from anybody else. You know, that's one of those things where you where you we were watching it and you go, Oh, is he talking to somebody? What's you know, about? because everybody right. else either right. has it tackle, you know, tackle, corner, oh, tackle. Man. Tackle corner, you know, it used to be Parsons was in there too. You know, Parsons, tackle corner, Parsons, tackle corner. And then all of a sudden, Quiddy Pay gets mocked at 10, and you're going, Whoa, yeah. whoa, whoa, what, what just happened here? What do you what, know? What are you talking to? <laughs> so maybe one of those defensive ends that we probably don't want. I don't know how you guys feel about Rousseau. I don't know what you think about Owe. I don't know what you think about uh, Quiddy Pay. Those might be a guy that they they if they do jump back in that they jump back in for one of those guys. To me, it's just it's it's going to be hard not to address 
the cornerback position within the first or second round. Just considering what we have currently on this roster. I mean, oh, yeah. because I sit here and I think about like, what are you going to do? You're going to put Anthony Brown out there, right? And you're not, we don't really have, I mean, unless we restructure somebody's contract, we're not really making, it doesn't seem like at this point in time, any moves on any other free agents. So I feel like that's just a need. And I just hate that. I feel like other teams know that and they can see it. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think there's going to be a good little list of those cornerbacks going before, oh, no. before 44. Yeah. Right. So. Yeah, that's the thing about it is once those cornerbacks start going off the board, they're going to go quick. And yep. you know, I mean, we there the, and there's some guys that are some some guys that are shorter guys. You know, uh, you know, you look at uh, Samuel from Florida State, Molden from Washington. I mean, they, they're good players. Joseph, where is he going to go from Kentucky? You know, there's a good, really good group of players right there in that second round pocket. Like I said. I was trying to argue with you uh, or just discuss with you about why I would take Pitts because I'm not making this a one-player draft. I'm thinking about, okay, I'll hammer, a, I'll hammer a defensive player at 44. I'll hammer another one at 75. I'll hammer another one at 99. I mean, I'm, gonna ha I'm just going to keep working on this thing, but I know, in, I know in my heart that, hey, I got the best player on my board. And now I'm going to try and take care of the rest of these things because I do. I believe this draft is really going to stretch in the middle of it. That, you know, day the day two, I think there's going to be some really, really good value fun picks that teams are going to make uh, during that during that second day. Yeah, I don't have any I don't have a problem with obviously with that logic, Brian. I, I'm asking myself, what's the disparity between the top two rated corners in Horn and Sertain and the third and fourth? Right? Yeah. What is that disparity? Oh, no, no, there's clearly, yeah, there's clearly a reason why that Sertan and Horn and Farley are in the first mm -hmm. round. Uh, but you know, I I do feel like though that that when you there's there's always going to be some deficiencies. I mentioned you know, and 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 Camber will tell you about, and you guys will tell me about the the Washington kids, you know, the Husky kids. You know, when you watch Molden play, I, I scouted his dad, Alex, when he was 1996, when he was with, uh, he was at University of Oregon, you know. And, I mean, I, I see, like, I'm like, his old man was a hell of a player. It's the 12th overall pick by the Saints. And, you know, you see what Molden has done at, you know, at Washington. He plays the slot. He can play safety. He can play quarter. You know, if, if you know, my old boss, Ron Wolf, used to say this, though, if you're a shorter guy, you better walk on water. And those guys like Molden and Samuel and those guys, they kind of walk on water a little bit. They they don't they don't back down from challenges and stuff. So there's always going to be some deficiency at that second round. Uh, San, uh, Joseph, you know, from Kentucky, he, you know, there's always going to be something that people are going to go, oh, well, that's what's wrong with him. But it 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 shouldn't deter you from saying, oh, well, there's this this massive drop from the top corners to the second round corners. It doesn't work that way. I mean, scheme fits work out for a lot of guys. Coaches work out for a lot of guys. I've seen a lot of second and third round corners. The best one ever I've seen, Richard Sherman was a fifth round pick. And you look at what he does. He goes out, he's smart, he's tough. He, he, you know, he, he knows how to play, knows how to stay in position. You know, you could find them at all levels. It depends on what team that, and what scheme you get these guys into. Brian, would you agree? Like Camber and I, we're all on the Husky guys, right? And we love sure. we love Molden. When I watch him, 
I think Buda Baker. I mean, that kid plays downhill and he just comes for your, you know what, dude, what, what do you think about that? Would you compare him to a Buda Baker? Yeah, I, I think that to me that, yeah, you know, and to me, Buda was a guy that, you know, you're right. He was a missile the way he played and, you know, with, with Molden, I, I, I love the way he, I love how aggressive he is. I love, you know, to me, give me, give me a guy that can play a lot of different positions, but play him well. I don't need a guy that, you know, I, I mean, okay, let me give you a guy. I love Coromora from Notre Dame, the linebacker. I love the Wusso Coromora. I love him, you know, but then I think about there was a kid last year named Simmons that was at Clemson that Arizona picked. And all of a sudden he's playing at, at Clemson. You're watching him play linebacker. You're watching him play safety. You're watching him play in the slot. And you're like, what is he? And Arizona really never figured out where to play him. But some kids do get it. I think Molden is one of those kids that when you say, okay, you go cover in the slot. Okay, you go play safety this time. Okay, you go work on the outside in the dime package. You know, I think that's the type of kid that, you know, you watch him play. It doesn't look too big for him. It doesn't look like that he is, you know, stressing out having to play a lot of different spots. And that's what that's the best thing you can say when you're when you're talking about a guy that plays a lot of spots. If 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 his game looks deficient because he's having to do that, then then it's not worth taking the player. But I, I do love the Molden kid. I, like I said, all those Washington kids. I'm not just saying it because I'm on your broadcast here today. <laughs> those are good kids. Those 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 are good players. I mean, they they do a great job up there getting players and evaluating them. And those kids come out and play in the league and play well. So, um, Cam, do you want to go ahead? Do you have a question? Um, actually, I kind of, well, I don't have a question from a viewer, but I kind of wanted to talk to you about the interior portion, our defensive line and cool. this draft. And what do you think we need to do to fix it? And who would you fix it with? Yeah, you know, I, I think that to me, they'll tell you that they like Tristan Hill, that he was coming along well. They'll tell you that they like, you know, uh, that Neville Galdemore was making some progress. They'll tell you all those things, you know, that under tackle, that three technique. Okay, I'm willing. You know, I I, I saw some improvement. I, I was I was I saw some things with Tristan Hill that gave me some hope. You know, I think that to me, you could draft a defensive tackle. You know, we we talk about the Washington kid being a possibility, but to me, I would start with trying to get a one technique. I would try and get a nose tackle. I would try and get a 318 to 320 pound one technique. And the one thing that this draft actually affords me is that I think there's a couple of those kids that you can look at. You know, I really like the McNeil kid from North Carolina State. I think that if you watch him play, here's a big man that he's, you know, he and when you watch him play at North Carolina State, he is right up on the center's face. I mean, he is breathing the same air as that center is. He's that close. But you watch him play. You watch him get rid of centers and get rid of guards and get down the line and get in the backfield and get outside the tackle box. You know, I, I think those are the kinds of things when you see that, you're like going, oh, man, that's that's what you need. That's what you need. You know, another kid, you know, I, I talk about there's uh, Marvin Wilson from Florida State. What's funny about Marvin Wilson, he wears number 21. You know, it's a kind of a weird thing to see a big old body guy with that stretched out number 21. But that's what he that's what he wears. And but there's another guy, and you watch him and he plays on the offensive side of the line of scrimmage. You know, and he he's another guy that's like powerful, 
get rid of guys and has some pass rush moves and affects the pocket. And I think if you watched his tape from like two years ago, he was like a guy that probably would have been a first round player. And then he got hurt and then they had coaching changes. And I mean, a lot of things kind of swirling around with this guy, but I, I, I love him. There's another kid, Tonga, uh, Chris, uh, Chris Tonga from, uh, from BYU. A 326-pound guy getting rid of people and all that. Rod Marinelli, I think, limited them of really getting a one technique that can help them. You know, he was always about coaching the orphans, and nobody wants these guys. But then I remind him, I'm like, Coach, you did have Booger McFarlane as a first-round one technique, and you had Warren Sapp as a first-round three three technique. And, by the way, you had Derek Brooks at linebacker, you know. So, you know, if you have good players, you're going to have a good scheme. And I think with the Cowboys, they they need to, you know, and I think Dan Quinn, again, I, I've I worked with guys that, that worked with Dan Quinn that know Dan Quinn, and they talk about Dan Quinn in a way of, and Dan Quinn went to all these pro days. I mean, he was out in the Pacific Northwest looking at guys. Uh, he was, you know, on the East Coast. He was down South. I mean, he's trying to find these players. So, Hopefully his influence and trust me, coaches influence in the Cowboys war room is real. It is real. And so, you know, hopefully he has a better eye than what happened with Rod Marinelli and some of the decisions they made. And hopefully they can get him a big time uh, one technique and then let the development see if Tristan Hill and Neville Gallimore and see if that can actually work. Cool. All right. Another question from one of our viewers, our main man, Marcus, from Memphis. He, uh, so I hear you're an LSU guy, Brian, right? That's big, true. Big time LSU guy, right? So uh, he, he wants to know about some of your, your pet cats from LSU, and specifically he wanted me to ask you about, and I've never heard this name, and he swears you will, Racy McMath. Racy McMath, yeah. I tell you what, kind of a really of a down-the-line guy uh, with, you know, with the Tigers. You know, the, the thing with LSU, and they went from a national championship team two years ago to a team that was really fortunate to be five and five. And a lot of those kids, you know, they just didn't have, I mean, like you know, Chase opted out, you know, uh, Marshall opted out, you know, the, I mean, it was it was a real, real struggle. And defensively, they were really, really bad. You know, McMath, he's a, he's a good player. I mean, he was a, he was a good college player, but he was a good college player with others around him. That could that could kind of carry his game, and so yeah, I mean him. Jabril Cox is another one who's a linebacker, you know, that people are talking about, and I'm thinking like the one thing Jabril Cox could do, and McMath, those guys, is they have the ability, the athletic ability to stay with guys, but how tough are you to tackle? How good are you to finish? You know, those are the things when you look at LSU, the difference between being a national championship team and being a team that was five and five was a lot of things happen, you know, offensively with no quarterback. But then on defensively, though, they just could not make enough plays. And I think that's the thing that worries, you know, a lot of scouts. It's like, wow, how can you how can you go from being this and then all of a sudden being this? And those kids are a part of that. And, you know, the LSU kids, when they've got drafted on defense, have done a pretty good job. Just so happens that Dallas got one in Mo Claiborne. And, you know, it's funny about Mo Claiborne. Mo never was hurt at LSU. And then he got to the Cowboys, and then he was always hurt. And then sometimes it happens that way. But, uh, but yeah, it's 
those LSU kids, you got to keep an eye on them. But there's 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 some parts to their game right now that that bother me a little bit with the lack of some finish, especially on defense. Right. Okay. So I have a question here from one of the viewers, uh, Brew Skadoo. Apparently, is his name. <laughs> <laughs> nobody not used their nobody not used their name on Twitter anymore. Is that kind of not. Uh, so he said, "Could you see a scenario where Slater is the pick at ten, and yeah. the Cowboys actually do decide to trade back into the first for either Farley or Newsom?" Yeah, we talked about like we talked about Newsom. They they believe that Newsom has got uh, long term, long term. You know, could be. Now I'll say this about when doctors tell you about long-term injuries and stuff like that, two cases I was a part of. In Green Bay, our doctors failed Larry Allen. He played for a million years and had a Hall of Fame career. In Philadelphia, I drafted Jeremiah Trotter from Stephen F. Austin in the third round. Had a doctor tell me about his knee. I don't know if he could play 10 games or 10 years. He played like 13 years. So, right. you know, you got to be careful about but you got to trust doctors. I mean, you don't I don't have DR period in front of my name. Those guys have DR period in front of their name for a reason. So uh, going back in, I I don't know if they would do it for I don't know if they would do it for Farley. And I just the thing with Newsom, you know, may I don't think these guys are bluffing me or smoke screening me on this. I'm just not sure about about their real real love for Newsom. So, kind of keep that in mind if you're talking about trading back or trading back into the room. Were well, you were around Brian? Another guy. Remember this guy, Ron Leary, about his knee. I was right. I was. And and I'll tell you what's impressive about Ron Leary is bone on bone on his knee, degenerate knee, and all that stuff. The one thing you have to that I always respected about Ron Leary when he played football at Memphis, they were a horrible team. Memphis has got a good football team now. Last five years, they've been good. When Ron Leary was there, they were bad. If you watch a player that plays on a bad football team, but is always playing hard and is the best player on the team despite being down by 30 points all the time, draft that guy. Because that that's a guy that's got a lot of pride. And that's where Jerry was so excited. They got Ron Leary like post-draft. They didn't even draft him. They signed him as a free agent. But Ron Leary should have been drafted. You know, and but he was a guy that was playing harder than anybody else being down 35 points in a game. And I've always respected him for that. Yeah. All right. Okay, I've got I've got another one from one of our listeners from New Jersey Cowboy fan. Here we go. A little iron irony there. Um, so who's your hidden gem in this draft? Man, I'll tell you what, I'm a big fan. I'm a big fan of this kid, uh, this Oregon safety that uh, – Holland. Yeah, and and people are giving me a lot of grief about him and all that, but I, I think if you're the Cowboys, I'm, I'm trying to find a true free safety. And, yeah, this kid opted out, you know, because of the COVID stuff, and that's tough. But, like I said, this guy's a true free safety, and, and every way he plays – I mean, this guy's a ball hawk. I mean, you when you watch him play, he knows how to position himself in a way to get the ball. And I, I think, you know, you got to have a guy that plays with his eyes, that can read routes and stuff like that. I, I would love, I would love the Cowboys to draft a guy like that because I know if you pair him with Donovan Wilson, 
you could let Donovan Wilson play downhill all night, and this kid on the back end will cover up and make sure that you know that that nothing gets too deep, or he'll undercut a route, make sure he gets a play. But I mean, he he's he's good when when they when they throw screens and stuff. He knows how to avoid blocks. He gets up in there and to make the play. I I really fell in love with him. I know a lot of people like different wider or different safeties or different players. But this guy right here was one of my favorite when I got to study him uh, on tape. Compare him to Morick from TCU. How, what's the disparity there? You like him the same? One's better? Uh, yeah, I've got, I've got actually, I've got Grant, Holland, and then Morick as my my three guys. But I don't have a first round safety, is what I don't have. And to me, the three guys that you named are all true free safety type players. And so right. I know that people. I know I work with a guy, Jeff Cavanaugh, who absolutely loves Washington, the shorter other safety at TCU. There's I've talked to some NFL scouts. They think he's gonna have to play corner than safety. So kind of keep an eye on that. But with Maureen, you get a guy, you get a guy that's like you can put this guy in coverage and you don't have to worry about him because he's he does a really good job from you know, when you watch him and how we talk about the eyes, and that's the most important thing with safeties. I can tell when safeties don't see the field or don't see development because that's their reactions come from what they see. You know, and a lot of teams have gotten pretty good of trying to bait safeties and hold them in, and hold them in position with routes, crossing routes so they can get routes over the top. And a lot of the really good ones are, have that ability to see it and understand, okay, that's the decoy. They're throwing the ball deep. But this guy with Mooring, he he'll throw his body around too, you know, at six one, like at least two hundred and seven pounds is what he's at. And so, you know, he's got some decent size to him. He's got the range, he's got the the desire, and he's got the ability, the eyes to see the field. So pretty close with all those guys, but I would go with with Holland when you start talking about that group. And as far as Holland goes, so he he's mostly played like a, a nickel cornerback type role, right? Um, right at Oregon. Right. So, how do you, how hard is it for you to kind of judge these players when they're not quite at that safety position, like adjusting a corner, like say a well, Byron yeah, Jones, you, right? Yeah, yeah. What you have to do is, if you see them have the ability to cover, and then like there's been some games, some cutups and stuff where I've seen where he has played where they put him back at safety, and then you see him coming out of the middle of the field, and you see him coming off the hash and stuff like that. So the projection isn't that tough, but if you tell me that this guy that I can put him down there and he can cover in the slot, he has the size to match up with a tight end, or he has the size to match up with a big receiver and not and not allow that to escape or anything to happen there, I think that you can make that projection. If you remember Dan Quinn, he he took Kazee, the the kid that the Cowboys signed. Kazee was a uh, a cornerback at San Diego State. And he said, nah, I'm going to put him, I'm going to make him a safety. And so, you know, Dan has a little bit of a track record of being able to take guys and then kind of fit him into where they see a scheme fit. So I would, I'd keep an eye on those kind of corners that then, then move them to, to safety for sure. Yeah. I got to actually Zach from Nosebleeds 105.3. No. Uh, well, Jack, oh, Jack, Jack, yeah, Jack. yes, sir. Yeah, he's good for him. Yeah, he said, uh, so what's the secrets with the pork chops? 
ah, okay, this is a bit these guys do in our radio station. So if you're a guest on the show, and I and and they were doing they were doing weekends, and now they do nighttime. They're two young guys, really, really, really good at their job. Yeah, they follow our show. We're on uh, two to seven, and they're on afterwards. And they always ask their guests. Like, you know, they ask them, how do you like your pork chops? How do you cook pork chops? So that's kind of like a thing. And some some people get like, like, what? What are you talking? But they had me on one night, and this is before I started working in radio. And I told them how I prepare pork chops, like how I make barbecue sauce and how I grill them and how I and, – and they have never had anybody go into detail on how to cook pork chops. So it's it's kind Love of a it. running bit that they have. They have another one, another running bit, and this is going to be kind of maybe, I don't know if it's gross or not, but they always ask guys, like, do you believe when you go to the men's room, do you stand up or sit? You know, that's one of their questions wow. that they ask. And they've asked, like, players, like Joe, like J.C. Horn, they, J.C., when you use the men's room, do you stand up or you sit? And, the, and the, J.C.'s like, well, man, I usually stand up. and all. <laughs> I mean, so they always try and come up with a little bit of a bit question. But awesome. the pork chop one is like a staple that right. they ask. Some people don't. But then they get me, who loves to cook, and I told them how to do a pork chop the proper way. And they weren't ready for that. <laughs> <laughs> they're good it. dudes. Yeah, they're great. They're, they're two young radio guys, and they know their stuff, man. They really, really – a lot of fun dealing with those guys. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Okay, so do you guys have any questions? Do you have any more or fan viewer questions? Let me ask you guys some questions. Let me Come ask on. you guys some Grillas. questions. Grillas, Grillas, what do you got? All right, you guys have been doing your shows together, right? Has has the Pitts argument been the biggest argument you three have had, or the biggest no. disagreement that you guys have? No, signing Dak. Yeah. Oh, Dak um, was a bigger. Oh, okay, yeah. now was there was there pro or con? Who was pro? Pro there? Darryl, I, I was con. Darryl. I was con. con. Yeah. Okay, so you were like, as the Cowboys were, as the Cowboys were like letting it ride, you were okay with that. You were like, hey, they're playing this the right way. They're totally playing it the right way. He had. A, there, I, I, there was logic behind it. Look, and so Brian, it wasn't. It was because I am. I just wanted the team to win, and I thought the biggest way to get them to change sort of their approach to free agency was uh, because of the pieces that they already had on offense. That was the big driver for me. I don't think Dak um, was worth the spin. Um, I think you could have got one of these top-tier, top-rated, you know, college quarterbacks and plugged in with these pieces and then sure. saved that money and then spent in free agency to make the defense better. So that was always my approach is I, I just got tired of seeing the defense run over and we've not, we've not invested draft capital or free agent to get that defensive talent better. And I thought yeah. that was the biggest piece to get them better. You know what's funny? That they have invested draft capital in defense. It just hadn't worked out. They haven't hit any on those defensive line. I mean, they've drafted second round guys, Jalen Smith, you know, Sean Lee. I mean, uh, Leighton Vander Esch. Dig. I mean, they've drafted guys. They, they look at the look at the uh, Tristan Hill. You know, Neville Gallimore. I mean, uh, how about how about Taco Charlton? I mean, they've used picks on defensive guys. They just haven't done a good enough job like they have on offense. 
That they're Wait, Brian, Brian, can I stop you for a second? So would sure. you be saying that we're historically bad I knew she was gonna at go drafting defensive players? I think, I think there's certain I think there's certain <laughs> no I think there's certain positions that Rod Marinelli affected their ability. And I'm and I'm not totally because I tried to defend Will McClay one time on the radio. I I I got wind that that Will wanted TJ Watt. That Will McClay wanted TJ Watt. And so I went on the radio one day and was talking about that. And Will McClay heard me talk about it and he texts me. He says, call me. And I'm like, okay, what I just do? So I called him during break. He says, listen here, don't ever do that again. He goes, I, I go, Marinelli, we all agreed about TJ Watt. That wasn't just on Rod. That was all of us. We wear that one. That's, that was a group thing. That wasn't just a coach doing that. Now, there's things I think that they've done. They took Zeke because Rod Marinelli and Chris Richard said – He'll help us play defense when they had when they could have taken Ramsey. They could have taken Jalen Ramsey. I mean, Marinelli could have been selfish. Richard could have been selfish and said, "Hey, let's take let's take Jalen Ramsey and go to battle," you know. But they their their decision making on how to build their defense has been really suspect. But yeah, I think to me that when you look at you know look what they've done with like drafting like Ceedee Lamb. Dak Prescott, you know, I mean, they've drafted some, they've drafted some Michael Gallup, you know, they traded a one for Amari Cooper. I mean, they've had better success working with offensive people than they have defense. And, and my hope, is, okay, is, is if I was a Cowboy fan, my hope would be that Dan Quinn can turn things around, not only from a schematic standpoint, but also an evaluation standpoint. You know, you you need coaches that can evaluate. Not all of them can. But if mm-hmm. you and I'm not blaming everything on Rod Marinelli, it sounds like I am, but they're they were they leaned on him for a lot of stuff. Right. And it didn't well look what they did. They get rid of Byron Jones. I mean, they're playing Byron Jones at damn at safety, and Chris Richard walks in and goes, Move corner. He's a better corner. Oh, okay. You know. So I think there's some things of not being able to get out of their own way defensively that's really, really, really hurt this team. Some teams have done a great job. Tampa Bay, Tampa's done a great job drafting defensive players. You know, it just takes it just takes the kind of run that they've had on offense. And I'm not making excuses for Will McClay because I bust their ass every chance I get when they don't do a good job. But I also give them credit for trading for Robert Quinn you know, I'll give him some credit for going to get an 11 half sack guy. Right. But I, I think there's, I think there's that, this is such an unusual organization when it comes to the triangle. Jerry at top, Will in the middle, scouts on one point, coaches on the other. And Will has to try and keep everybody happy in the little triangle. It's a hard job. Instead of like somebody coming in there and saying, hey, the scouts scout, the coaches coach. Let's go. Let's go do this. You, you know, third down, right. coaches, you handle that. Scouts, you handle that. There's organizations that are like that. There are organizations that do that. But you have this triangle in Dallas, and the guy in the middle of the triangle is struggling keeping everybody happy. And it's led to some questionable picks, in my opinion. Or 
or some things in free agency. Uh, free as agency, well. yeah. So, so talent yeah. evaluation has been a big concern. I mean, especially yeah, absolutely. last yeah. year. Last year, with it, with the with what we did in free agency, um, it was it was bad. Don't admit it. I, I, I talked to Alex Loomis, who's the pro personnel guy. I, I saw him at a restaurant, I, and I he said, "Hey, man, you you're kicking my ass pretty good about what we did last year." And I I'm like, "Well, yeah. I mean, what what do you think?" And he goes, "No, you're right." He goes. But I go, but Alex, I also gave you credit for going to get Robert Quinn. You went out and got Robert Quinn and did a really good job. I mean, that's what you got to do. Right. Sometimes you have a pro departments have a good run because they evaluate. If you if you try not to be too cheap, and that's what the Cowboys tend to do. They, they get a little too cheap. They're really big on drafting and signing their own. That's, that's, that's the important thing to them. Draft, sign them back. Draft, sign them back. You can make sure to find us at the Starboys XXO show. So make sure you tune in. We got plenty of great content coming to you guys in the very near future. So make sure to definitely tune in. Follow us on Twitter. Like and subscribe down below. I just missed, like, I missed it. I missed it. Do it. Do it one more time. Go ahead. <laughs> Let me see your Tootsie roll. <laughs> <laughs> This is going on YouTube. If, if anybody makes oh, it to the no. end of the show, like it's gonna be right. that's beautiful right there. And we can literally we can literally Outburst. end it. I will end it literally with just you. <laughs> so what did you wear tonight? The body roll has to be three parts shoulder, <laughs> two parts chest, and you <laughs> oh, no. it's a slow motion. Yeah. <laughs>